My name is Way Rutherford, and I'm the, uh, the RUF campus minister at Baylor. RUF is Reformed University Fellowship, and it is your denomination's uh, college campus ministry. So we are your uh, ministry to the campus at Baylor. And every chance that I get to stand in front of you, I always want to take the opportunity to say a uh, very sincere and heartfelt thank you. Uh, we would not be able to do what we do without you. Uh, many of you give individually and uh, corporately as an institution. Redeemer uh, gives very generously to RUF. So thank you very much. Um, God is at work on campus and uh, in and through our ministry, and it is, uh, I'm grateful to you. So thank you for that. We just got back from our RUF summer conference. Got, I got back yesterday afternoon, and so and now we're here. Um, but we had a great week at the, at the beach, and... Um, going to seminars in the morning and all afternoon playing on the beach and a uh, large group speaker at night. There are about a thousand RUF students from across the country there. It was a great week. Uh, so thank you in part for that also. So this morning we are going to be looking at Exodus 17. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Let's give our attention to God's word. It says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? The grass withers, the flowers fade away. The Word of God stands forever. So let me pray for us before we uh, look at it further this morning. Heavenly Father, we do need, we need to ask you to be with us. As we hear from you, Father, we are grateful that you are a God who speaks because you could remain silent, but you speak to us, you want us to know you, but Father, we come as sinners and we, we come as those who, whose ears are slow to hear. And so we pray that you would, you would work in spite of that, you would work in, contrary to our nature that you would work in us so that we, might, that we might see something of ourselves and our sin, and even more so something of your grace and your mercy in Jesus. And we ask it in his name. Amen. I wonder if you've ever heard of uh, something called cat and dog theology. I'm going to guess not, but I think you'll get the gist of it. Uh, it goes... The basic idea is this. It's, it's, it's the basic difference between dogs and cats. 
A dog fundamentally looks at the world, and it, it sees the world around it like this. It thinks, that guy puts food in the dish and water in the bowl, and he pets me, and he takes care of me, so he must be God. I'm going to love him and serve him forever. A cat fundamentally looks at the world around it, and it says, that guy puts food in the dish, he puts water in the bowl, he pets me, he takes care of me, I must be God. He'll, he'll love me and serve me forever. And if you know anything about cats and dogs, right, that's sort of funny because it's exactly how they act. And it's funny because the, the dog has it right. The dog, in, in that sense, we're giving them a lot of credit, but the dog sees reality for what it is. And the cat, the cat has it backwards. The cat's got reality backwards. Uh, this past semester at, at RUF, we studied, we studied through Exodus, uh, which is why I wanted to uh, want to give you a little taste of what we've, what we've done at RUF over this last spring semester. But uh, every week, we said that Exodus is this great story of God saving his people. It's this, it's this amazing rescue story. And our theme for the semester was that Exodus is the pattern of salvation. That the way in which you see God save his people in Exodus is emblematic of how he saves his people throughout all time. So that as we, as we drill down and look at these stories, uh, at the specifics of these stories, we can learn a great deal about what it means to experience God's salvation here and now. And I think from this passage, what we see in this passage is a lot of backwardness. Uh, really, the main events of this passage seem very, very backwards, at least apparently backwards. And so that's how I want to look at it this morning. I want us to see two things. First thing I want you to see is that I want you to see backwards thinking by the people. And secondly, we'll look at backwards justice by God. So backwards thinking and backwards justice. All right, so first, the backwards thinking by the, by the people. And before we really dig in, we need to have a, a little rehearsal of where we are in Exodus. Because we're just, you know, especially here and now, we're just jumping in. Uh, we're 17 chapters in. So like I said, Exodus is this great story, a great rescue story. Uh, God's people, Israel, were enslaved in Egypt and had been, and had been so for 400 some odd years. Uh, hopeless, helpless, and God shows up on the scene and he says, I'm going to take you out. I'm going to pull you out of slavery and I'm going I'm to give you your own land where, where you'll be in charge, where you won't be slaves anymore. You'll be free. And so he begins to uh, affect their salvation. He raises up Moses and then there's the whole you know, ten plagues that he, he basically just dumps terror onto Egypt and not onto Israel does these amazing acts, and finally Pharaoh lets, lets the people go, and when they go, they give them all of their stuff, and then he leads them out into the, into the wilderness, into the desert, and they end up against the Red Sea, and you, you probably remember this story. They're up against the Red Sea. They have basically the ocean on one side of them, and then Pharaoh's army decides. They sort of wake up and say, why did we let them go? We let all our free help go. 
So let's go get them. So the army's bearing down on them, and then he parts the Red Sea. And Israel walks through safely, and Egypt follows, and he, parts, he unparts the waters back onto Egypt, and their enemy's gone. And then he begins to lead these people through the wilderness towards the promised land. And he, he provides everything that they need. The chapter 16, what we, uh, when we looked at this in, in RUF, uh, what we looked at the week before we were here, was the whole, uh, the whole story of God providing bread, manna in the wilderness. He gave, them, he gave them everything that they needed, gave them exactly as much as they needed. And so now God has them pick up camp and follow him again. Remember, they're, they're following the pillar of fire, the pillar of smoke. And so they, they show up at this place. The, it comes to rest. God stops and says, all right, we're going to camp at this place called Rephidim. But there's no water there, or at least apparently not any water. So what do they do? Now, you might expect that people that have experienced the last, I don't know, few weeks, few months of God doing things that people will talk about for thousands of years to come, you might expect that at least one person would say, we should probably ask God for water. That would seem reasonable, but evidently that's not what they do. You, you, you might expect even as they as they begin to, to get upset about it, that one person might stand up and say, like, wait, wait, let's, let's just hang on just a minute. Maybe, there, maybe we should think about this differently. And as they begin to try to hush that guy up, he says, no, just, just stay with me. Let me just throw this out there. I think God actually, actually just reasonably might be for us. Just based on the, the past history, just think about what he's done. He did all that. He showed up and promised us to get us out of slavery. And then he did all that amazing stuff for us. And then, when we were up against the huge body of water, he made that water do whatever he wanted. So he, he seems to work well with that particular substance. <laughs> and then to top it all off, remember this morning when we woke up, just a few hours ago, remember, we woke up and there was food all over the ground that God put there. He told us He would put it there every day, and He has, and we picked it up and ate it this morning. But they don't seem to think like that. It's really astounding if you, if you stop and think about it for a second. All that history has gone. And in some ways, I think it's, that's a trait of human beings. If we stop and think about it for ourselves, I think we all tend to forget the positive things in life, and we tend to more easily remember the negative. I bet if I polled you and asked, what was the most recent painful thing, negative thing that somebody said about you? And what was the most recent positive thing that somebody said about you or to you? my guess is that more of us would be quicker to come up with something negative. It's easier to remember those things. It tends to be. Just think about, this is probably a silly illustration, but think about how, think about how you act when the power goes out. 
at your house. Right? You know exactly how long the power has been out. Right? The power's been out for two and a half hours. The power's been out for three hours and 15 minutes. That's easy to remember. I can still remember the longest time the power was out for us, uh, Amy and I, uh, our power was out for nine days in Louisville. And I still remember that. But nobody ever thinks, wow, the power has been, all, has been on for 4,320 straight hours. <laughs> That's six months. We never remember that sort of stuff. The Israelites seem to have it so backwards in their thinking. How can they not remember? How can they, how can they so easily forget what seems so obvious? But we do the exact same thing, right? We're, we're prone to think the same way. We quickly forget the good things that God has done for us, the blessings that He gives us. And so we don't simply trust Him and, and go to Him with our concerns. Our, our reflex is not to, to go to God about to think, well, He has reasonably been for me in my life. We forget. But the backwards thinking actually seems to go a whole lot deeper than that. So I don't want to spend, we're not going to stop and apply it right now. Because I want you to see how much deeper this backwards thinking goes. Because it's not just that these Israelites forget. It's not just that had someone, you know, stood up and shouted loud enough, said, no, 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 remember, that they would have thought, that's right, I keep forgetting. It's a whole lot more sinister than that. Uh, Their backwards thinking it's more than forgetting, it's actually accusing God. They basically look at God and say, this is your fault. There's no water here, and this is on you. And we want, we want answers, we want justice. I look at verse 2. It says, therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And there's a couple things I want you to, I want you to notice. First, that word for quarrel, it's a legal term. It doesn't just mean that they were, they were kind of whiny about it or fussy about it, you know, the sort of like, when are we going to be there? Are we there yet? You know, there's no water. I'm thirsty. This is, the, they're bringing a lawsuit against God. They are taking him very much to task. They're accusing him. Uh, second, notice that, that they tell God through his representative Moses, they say, give us water. So it's, it seems to be not so much that they, that they doubt that God is big enough and powerful enough to provide water, but they seem, they seem to say that they're angry that he's holding it back. So it's not that they're doubting, is God really there? Is he big enough to, to make water show up when, uh, you know, when it doesn't seem to be here? What they seem to be really thinking is why is he keeping it from us? Because at the end of the day, they just, don't, they just don't believe that he cares about them. And so they bring this accusation. They pull into camp, and they don't immediately see water readily available. And they basically say, we knew it. We knew it. You just brought us out here to kill us. Because that would make a lot of sense, right? The backwards thinking that they display is, is pretty amazing. It would be like, I thought about it like this. Let's say 10 years from now, our, our kids, my, mine and Amy's kids, will be teenagers. 
It would be like if one morning they, they wake up and they go into the, to the kitchen and they don't see breakfast, the breakfast that they normally eat, sitting there on the table for them. And they, then they go to the pantry and they don't, they don't see what they normally eat there. And they say, we're done. That's it. You've been neglecting us since we were born. You've hated us and we're tired of it. And we're calling DHS, we are calling the authorities, and we will let the judge decide. We want justice. Right? I, I appreciate that you're laughing, that you think that, that that would not happen in our house, and I'd like to think that's the case. Because it's crazy. And that's almost exactly what they do. And again, I think if we stop and think about it, it doesn't take long to see that you and I do the exact same thing. Certainly, yes, we forget about the good things that God does, but, but it goes deeper, right? We're so easy to, to accuse God, to, to essentially look at Him and say and think, I don't think He cares about me. I don't think He has my best interests at heart. And sort of to keep one eye on God. Like you, you can't quite trust Him. He won't be as good. He'll, he'll hold back some of the good stuff. I'll give you an example. Uh, this was when I was preparing the sermon for RUF. It was, you know, that was right in the middle of this. It was that day. Got a call from uh, my doctor's office, and they said, uh, your insurance needs this authorization so that they'll continue to pay for your, uh, you know, one of the medicines you take, and um, they need a certain document, and we can't seem to find it. We know we had it, but now it's, you know, we don't have it. And so we need you, uh, either if you have it, to give it to us or, you know, call one of your previous doctors to get it. And I go from having a, a fine morning to instantly, I am picturing myself um, uh, out of a job, struggling to feed my family. Because just, and, and look, you know how it goes. In just like two seconds, I go from thinking, you know, I hear what they say, and I think, this, this is ridiculous. What, what's going on here? And, and if I can't get that, like, I don't have that document. I, I gave it to you. And if, if you don't have it, I doubt my doctor's going to have it. And if I don't get this medicine, then I, I really don't sort of function like I want to. And if I don't really function like I want to, I don't know that I'm going to really be able to be as productive as I like. And if that happens, then I'm not going to, I may not be able to keep my job. And then, you know, I can't feed my family. And you know how it goes. Your standard, I'm going to be homeless and on the street in a matter of days scenario. That's utterly ridiculous. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm really what's up under that, and not too far up under that, is I'm thinking, why would God do this to me? Because I, good thing for you as the preacher, I, I believe in God. I'd like to think I do, and that he's big enough to do anything he needs. And anything he wants. He's big enough and he knows enough. He knows I need that piece of paper. And so really my heart's just accusing him. Why would you do that to me? It must be, it might be, because I don't think he cares enough. And it's just backwards thinking. What about for you? What about you? When you hear, when you hear that you lost that uh, business account, 
that was a, a big part of your, your business. Um, when, you, when you realize you're going to have to spend that money that you've saved for this on this other thing that came up. Uh, when you realize, uh, if, you're, if you're a college student, you realize your roommate situation for the next year just crumbled, and now you're on the outs and you've got to figure it out. When you, get, when you get broken up with, fill in the blank, right? Whatever it is, our hearts tend to think backwards. Our hearts tend to look at God and say, I just can't trust you. Why would you do this? And I think it's important to stop and see that that's backwards thinking. We tend to do the same with God's law. We don't have time to flesh this out, but we tend to look at God's laws and not think, well, God does reasonably seem to be for me, so maybe his law is a good thing. And, but we tend to look at it and say, no, you can't trust him, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to deal with my money the way I want to. I'm going to deal with my sexuality the way I want to because you can't trust him. We tend to think backwards. But the second thing, last thing I want you to see, I want you to see in this text God's backwards justice. And look, don't, don't get hung up on the backwards part applied to God, right? It's, it's sort of a, an apparent backwards, not that God is mixed up in some way. So the, the people are accusing God. They're basically literally asking for a trial to bring suit against, against God. And so uh, Mo, they're actually appealing to Moses. Moses talks to God about it. And then God gives Moses some sort of strange instructions. Look at verse 5 and 6. The Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. All right, so what in the world is that all about? This is one of those passages for me that I can remember when I was in college hearing somebody, I think it was Tim Keller, preach about this. And as, he, you, know, as you read the text, think, can't wait to see what that's all about because it doesn't make any sense to me. And as he talked about it, you know, having the lights come on and it makes so much sense. So I, I hope that that's the case this morning. Um, so what's going on? Well, the people have brought a lawsuit against God and God says, okay, let's have a trial. You're, you're making this allegation against me. Let's have a trial. You see, all the elements are there. Uh, you've got the witnesses and the elders of Israel. We're going to do this in front of the elders. You've got the staff of judgment, the staff that struck the Nile. That's what's going to carry out the punishment. Uh, you've got the plaintiff, uh, the people. And, and just take a second, right, to, to think about who should be on trial here. Right? From our first point, I think it's pretty clear the people should be on trial. They might even be getting nervous because they would recognize what's going on, that, that a trial is about to happen, and they might be getting nervous that they're about to be the ones uh, on the hot seat. But what does God do? God says, I will stand before you on the rock. And in Scripture, every time that, that someone stands before someone else, when it's phrased like that, it's always the inferior standing before the superior. Except here. 
God says, I will stand before you. I will stand before Moses, representing the people, and, and you will strike the rock. He identifies himself. I'm going to stand on the rock, identify his presence with that. You will strike the rock, bring down judgment, and out of that, water is life is going to come. You see what God is doing. He says, you want to have a trial? Let's have a trial. And he doesn't do it like I would have done it. Right? If my kids, if your kids, I would imagine, did that and said, you know, we're going to call DHS. You've been going to kind of, you want to have a trial? Let's have a trial. Let's take, oh, 18 years of me providing every one of your needs for you and loving you. And let's see what happens. God says, let's have a trial and I'll put myself on the hook. And I'll be found guilty in your place. And I'll take the blow of judgment in your place. And on top of all that, it's that very act, it's His bearing the judgment that provides the very thing that they need, the water. It's amazing. And don't you see how backwards this justice is? God doesn't deserve that. He doesn't need to take that. But He takes their punishment and it gives them life. And just in case you think I'm reading too much into this, I want you to, I want you to listen to 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. Now this is Paul talking about their, their forefathers who had come out of Egypt. He's talking about the people in the Exodus. And he says this. He says, They were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, that's the manna, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. You see, that, that passage is very clearly telling us that, that what you see in Exodus 17 is an early picture of Jesus. It's an early picture of Jesus Christ that one day God is going to bring down ultimate justice that you and I deserve. He's going to bring it down on Himself in His Son. And that that, that very act of that backwards justice is going to provide the very life that you and I need. Because Jesus, Jesus at that point was going to come and now has come. And He shows up and, and what does He do? He lives a perfect life. And I wish we had time to, to walk through just what happens in the, uh, when he goes out into the desert, into the wilderness, and he's tempted by Satan. Because Satan's temptations, all, they're all getting at the heart. They're, they're tempting Jesus to essentially think, does God really love you? Does God really have your best interest at heart? He would send his angels, if you jumped off the top of the temple, he'd send his angels, wouldn't he? The same temptation that you and I face. And he battled that with Scripture. He battled it by saying you should not put the Lord your God to the test, which is exactly what these people in this passage are doing. And then he goes to the cross and he bears the judgment. He takes the rod for me and you. So that we get to go free. 
It's so backwards, and it's so beautiful. I want to end with a, uh, a story that I heard from a pastor friend of mine, a guy named Ricky Jones. Uh, he tells this story about a, a Chinese village centuries ago that was experiencing a drought. And the drought became fairly severe, and there were strict, strict rations on the, how much water you could draw from the well in town. And so stealing any water would result in a beating. And one day an officer comes into the, into the, the judge's uh, office, chambers, whatever, and he says, someone's been caught stealing water, and you need to come see. And so the judge goes out to the well, and what he finds is his own mother, who's very sick and very scared, and she's clutching a bucket of water that she was not supposed to have. And so now he's in a tough spot because he knows that justice needs to come down because if justice doesn't come down, if you let one person go, it's not far until you have chaos. And yet, it's his mother. And so he announces the sentence. He says she's going to be tied to the stake to a stake in the center of town, and 40 blows will be administered. And so they go to the center of town, and he has his mother tied to the stake. And then he takes off his robe, and he grabs hold of his mother. He embraces his mother with his back to the, uh, to the guy with the, with the cane. And he says, make sure every blow falls on my back. so that the justice would be rendered. And yet it would fall on him and not her. All right, that's a, it's a beautiful story. And I want you to see that, it, that as beautiful and as, as, as vivid as that story is, it's just a hint. It's just a little taste of what God has done for us. Of the, of the backwards backwards beauty of how Jesus has taken our justice that we deserve. And He's given us His righteousness so that you and I can, can live. And so I just want to end with this, with this thought. If you're, if, you're not, if you're here and you're not a Christian, uh, Redeemer is really glad you're here. We're all really glad you're here. We think this, actually, we think this is a great place for you. If you're here and you're not a believer and you're you're thinking, I do believe that there's justice one day, that I'll have to answer for what, what I've done, then I want you to see that Jesus offers you right now to take, to take that justice that you deserve. And He offers to give you life so that you get to go for free. And if you are a believer this morning, then I, I want... I want to invite you to remember again. Right, that's how we started the service with the, with the greeting this morning. That we tend to forget the Gospel. And I want, this to, I want you to remember again that you can come again and again and again to the throne of grace. To remember what Jesus has done for you. That he, would go, that he would go so far as to give himself up for you because he loves you so much.
that God does have your best interests at heart. So much so that He would die in your place. And He would save backwards people like us. And that's the good news. It's very good news. And I pray that you, uh, you find it to be so. Let me pray for us.